listening to the Refinery Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Saturday night service in Brea, California. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. How many of you guys, um, maybe you come into church sometimes and you think to yourself, like you might feel a little insecure. You might think to yourself, um, like I don't know the Bible stories as much as the person sitting next to me. Like this, the, like the, the pastor went to Bible college and these people seem to know what he's talking about. How many of you guys like feel a little insecure? You don't have to raise your hands. We don't want to point you out here. But I have some good news tonight. Tonight, we are going to be all on a level playing field. We're going to be all on even ground because I'm going to tell us a story. I'm going to read a story about a man named Mephibosheth. (laughs) Now, you might be saying to yourself, Mephibosheth, what? (laughs) Who is he talking about? Some people are like, I don't even think this is in the Bible. But actually, this is in the Bible. It's a small story uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And uh, it's a very unlikely story, but it's a story that has a profound, beautiful truth. Um, so today, I'm just going gonna to do things a little differently. I'm just going to tell you guys a story. I'm going to narrate it. I'm going to make it feel like we're there. Because... What I love about God is he understands that we're human, right? A lot of us look at the Bible and we think that, oh, it's just this textbook that we got to understand and we got to learn. But actually, the Bible is full of stories. And why is it full of stories? Because stories are relatable, right? Stories are something that we can get behind, something that we can understand, and something that tells us uh, an amazing truth about uh, people, humanity, life, and ourselves. So I'm going to walk through the story today. I'm going to give us a little bit of application uh, for our lives, and I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of my message to respond to maybe something that God's doing in your heart. Because I believe that the Bible is the living Word of God. It's active sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces the soul. And so tonight, when we read this God-inspired story, I believe in my heart, God is speaking tonight. And and I hold that responsibility with uh, honor and humility, but I believe if you would open your ears to hear, God has a message for you. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond tonight, and then you know what? We're going to go out, we're going to hang out, we're going to eat some more donuts, we're going to drink some coffee, we're going to eat some snacks, we're going to hang out. Does that sound good? All right, so would you pray with me just as we bless this time? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. Uh, We are Christians. We believe in you. We believe in your death. We believe in your resurrection. And God, as we were worshiping, I so sensed the word, there is no one like you. God, I believe that's, that's a word for someone here today. God, that you are God that there's no one like Things like to take positions in our hearts, Lord, but nothing can satisfy us like you. So God, as I speak this story today, I pray that um, you would make yourself real tonight. It wouldn't be a story on our ears and we would just go hang out. But God, we would understand that there is nobody like Jesus and he is real and he is present and he's our hope. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. And everyone said, amen. How many of you would say, you know, in life, unlikely things happen to me? Like strange circumstances or unlikely things happen to you, at least at some point in life, right? Show hands, yeah. I'm getting nods. Pretty much everybody, right? Well, today, we encounter a story, an unlikely story, but it's a beautiful truth, and it's a, from a character that I already named. His name is Mephibosheth. Now, say that three times fast, Mephibosheth. I'm like... 
nervous for only one thing that I'm going to say his name wrong tonight. So, so if you would, open your Bibles, if you're good Christians. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, open your Bibles uh, to, if you have them with you, to 2 Samuel chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's no conviction here. We're going to have it on the screen because we have TVs, and that's awesome. Okay, so uh, we're going to open to 2 Samuel chapter 4. And we're just going to dive right in. I'm going to unpack this. The Bible says, um, Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. Okay, let's pause there for a second. I said this last time, and I say it all the time. It's in ver- for, for us to understand the power of this story, because there's power in this story today. But in for, for us to be able to understand it, we need to understand the context of what's happening in this story. So there's four characters. You go ahead and put on the screen. There's four characters you're going to need to be able to keep track of. It's very simple, though it looks daunting. Okay, So we're going to take a look here. There's four people I want to make sure you understand. First, we got King Saul. Okay? He is the king of Israel currently. He's the current king, and he has a son. His son, his name is Jonathan. It's important to know that, okay? He has a son. Then we got, I put it on there, our boy Mephibosheth. Okay, we got our boy right there. Um, And he is Jonathan's son, and he's Saul's grandson. And then we're going to have a man named David. And he is from a completely different family. And what's going to happen is David is going to become king after Saul. He's going to succeed Saul. And you might be thinking, okay, is this the David that killed Goliath? Yes. If you're familiar with that story, most people are. This is the David that killed Goliath, okay? And so these are our characters. Now I'm going to leave this up there as a reference point as we walk this through. But what if, you, if you would with me tonight, imagine, put yourself in this moment, Okay? Imagine this. You're five years old. You're just simply out and about. You're royal, right? You're the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. You live in the palace. So you're out in the palace. You're in the courtyards. You're having fun. You're, you're hanging with your friends. You're having a good time. And all of a sudden, the palace doors just burst open. And all you know is that people are all of a sudden screaming and yelling in pandemonium. And they're screaming. And you as a five-year-old kid, you're thinking to yourself, what is going on here? I was just having a good time. Now everyone's screaming. And as you hear them screaming, you realize that they're shouting that your dad has died. And you realize in that moment, it's just a normal day for a five-year-old boy that your granddad has died. That's a hard start to a day for a five-year-old, right? Can you imagine that? It's a hard day for anyone. But get this. It gets even worse for this kid. They're all in a panic, see, because David, like we mentioned, he's coming uh, to, to the palace to assume the place of the king, right? Saul has died, so it's now David's turn to become king. Now, this would have been a problem for this family, this monarchy, because in this time, in a monarchy, uh, when the family lines change, what happens to the old family? Do you guys know? What happens to the old family? They become eradicated. Okay? So everyone thinks David's coming to kill everybody, right? He's killed Goliath. He's not going to have a hard time killing anybody in the house of Saul. So everyone's freaking out because the problem is you don't want any potential heir to the throne be alive, right? So David, so everyone's freaking out. 
Everyone's freaking out in the palace, and they're going to kill everyone, including our boy Mephibosheth, especially him, right? Because his dad is Saul's son, so his dad would have been the next king, but his dad's dead. Now, that means Mephibosheth would be the next king. You guys tracking with me today? Am I going too fast for you? Okay. So they're in a panic. They're like, we got we to gotta whisk this boy away because David's coming. He's coming to assume the throne, and he's going to kill Mephibosheth. So what happens? You can go to the next verse. We continue in verse 4. We see that the nurse picks him up, and she's running in a panic, and she drops him, and she breaks this five-year-old boy's legs. She breaks both of his legs, and he becomes crippled. Five years old, guys. And they pick him up. They don't have time to put in a splint. They don't have time to do anything. They just run with him. And later in the story, we read that they run to a place called Lodabar. Lodabar. Now, Lodabar is a place that, is, uh, that means a place of no bread, or a place of no pasture. It's considered uh, an arid, dry, desolate place. It's a God-forsaken land, a place where nobody, a place where no one would ever want to live. It's kind of like it's kind of like Arizona, right? No one would ever want to live there. Okay, I'm just kidding. I, my wife's from Arizona, so I just had to do it. I even told her I was going to say that, so. We got married in Arizona, and it was beautiful, but I was sweating the whole time, so. You can almost imagine the scene, right? It's like Mephibosheth's in the witness protection program, right? Because he, he, David, in everyone's mind, David's out for blood. It's the only, it's what every king does. So they take him to the godforsaken land of Arizona, and they, they hide him in the house, okay? They do that, and, and, and he's left there for years, Oh, and I forgot to mention this. Any Bible scholar nerds out there? Any Bible people? Okay. This is super interesting. If you understand the Bible, if you read it as a whole, we realize that Mephibosheth isn't even his name. In 1 Chronicles chapter 8, there's a genealogy of Saul. A genealogy means a list of names of people in their family. And in Saul's family lineage, we realize that Mephibosheth's name is actually Mirabelle. Now, if you don't know this, uh, names are significant in the Bible. And Mirabel means opponent of Baal. Now, Baal is a false god in the Old Testament. So you could imagine, it's almost as if Jonathan named his son, you're going to be Mirabel. you're royal, you're, you're going to be my son, you're going to be an opponent of false gods. But no, we read in this chapter, his name's Mephibosheth. Now get this. Mephibosheth literally means son of shame or shameful thing. Not even a person, a thing. Mephibosheth means son of shame. So you can imagine, right? Have I set the stage enough for you guys? You can imagine, you're five years old. You lose your father. You lose your grandfather. Your legs are broken and you're crippled. You're taken away to this desolate place, left out in somewhere, who knows, land, Lodabar, whatever that is. And your name is changed from opponent of Baal to son of shame. Man. And for Mephibosheth, years and years and years go by. 
and nothing happens. He doesn't get healed. He doesn't get helped. He's just broken. The story of Mephibosheth, son of shame. In that moment, his whole world had been flipped upside down. I want to ask you this tonight. Have you ever had a moment, what I'd like to call a Mephibosheth moment? Have you ever had a Mephibosheth moment? Where you're sitting there in the palace courts, everything's fine, you're hanging out with your friends, everything's good, and then all of a sudden, the doctors give you a report that you didn't expect. One day you felt healthy, the next day you feel like everything has been turned on end. Maybe that's not you. Maybe um, someone who you thought you could trust violated your trust. Or maybe you were in a relationship that you thought was going to go the distance, but in so short of a time, they betrayed you or something happened. And in that moment, it was just one moment, your whole world was flipped upside down. Have you guys ever felt that before in your life? It's in that emotion, it's in that thickness that we can understand what Mephibosheth must have been going through. See, what I love about God is he doesn't let the story in there. Because the story of Mephibosheth isn't, doesn't end with him in Lodabar. It's not a story of brokenness. It's a story of grace. Why? Because God does something unlikely. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles over to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. After years have gone by, we see that this happens. The Bible says one day, um, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. One day, King David says, Is there anybody um, left in the household of Saul whom I can show kindness to John, for Jonathan's sake? Is there anyone in Saul's family still alive whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Is there anyone? Now get this. What's interesting, based on what we know about the whole monarchy change, this is a weird thing that David would say, right? Because it doesn't make sense. Now, if we get the greater context of Scripture, we understand that when Jonathan was still alive, Jonathan made David promise that when he became king, because Jonathan believed he would become king, when he became king, David would take care of, of Jonathan and his family. He made a promise. So David made a covenant. And there's so much I could go into about promises and covenants and all this stuff, but for the sake of time, I'm going to keep it really simple. David keeps his promise to Jonathan. Okay, And if David keeps his promise to Jonathan, how much more would God keep his promises towards us? Am I right? How much more, if, if a man named David could keep his promises, how much more would God, who doesn't change, keep his promises towards us? So in keeping his promise, David says, okay, is there anybody, is there anybody, I don't know if there's anybody, but come on, tell me, is there anyone who I can bless for Jonathan's sake? So they summon a guy uh, named Ziba, you could turn the next uh, thing, they summon a guy named Ziba, uh, who was one of Saul's servants, and they ask him this question, and Ziba replies to King David and says, well, yes, there is one man, there's one son of Jonathan, 
but he's crippled in both feet. He just kind of like pushes him aside like, yeah, there's one, but he's crippled. You know, he wouldn't want him. Why does he do this? Because in this day and age, to be crippled would, would mean to the world and to the society that you are worthless. Because, I don't know if you guys realize, there's no ADA compliance. There's no wheelchair ramps. There's no wheelchairs. There's no handicapped parking spots. There's none of this. So if you're broken in both of your legs, you're going to be a burden. And the, the ancient world just didn't work that way. They didn't have time to worry about this. And so Mephibosheth, he's out in this desolate place, and he's, in everyone's mind, he's worthless. But David doesn't think Mephibosheth's worthless. Why? Because David made a promise, and he's going to keep that promise. So he says, well, where is he? I want this kid. Come on. So Zebra replies, well, he's out in Lodabar. He's in the house of Makir. That's where he is. And David says, okay, we'll go get him. So you can imagine, you're Mephibosheth, you're in, you're in Lodabar, and all of a sudden you see this royal army coming on the hillside, right? And you, you see it coming in, and, and you can imagine Mephibosheth's heart must have been pounding. Now, I want to ask you this question. Do you think that this was exciting for Mephibosheth? Do you think that this was a good moment for him? Do you think that he was excited? No. This wasn't a good day. He wasn't like, well, sweet, the palace are finally, they finally found me. No, they weren't like that. This moment was the incarnation of all the fear, all the worry, all the terror that had haunted him for years and years. And it was coming, knocking on his door, saying, Mephibosheth, where are you? The day, King David wants to see you. And you have to think he's going in his mind, I'm going to die. Today's the day I'm going to die. And, you know, Mephibosheth must have grown up hating David. Wouldn't you have hated David? Think about it. In his mind, this is just how humans work. In his mind, it's David's fault that he's out in Lodabar. It's David's fault that both of his legs are broken. You know, he probably thought, you know, it's David's fault that my dad's dead. And it's David's fault my grandfather's dead. And it's David's fault that I, I'm stuck here worthless. And everything that they've been telling me about David, it's coming true here in this moment. But this is where the story takes that unlikely turn. See, David's response to Mephibosheth is quite different than what Mephibosheth had thought it would be. So we're going to pick up in verse 7, if you're following along. Look at what David says to Mephibosheth once he's come to the courts of the king. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I intend to show you kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. Now, I love this. Look at this. I give you all of the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Now, look at what Mephibosheth thought about himself. He said, Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you would show such kindness to a dead dog like me? What a terrible thing to say about yourself. You would show such kindness to a dead dog like me. You would have to imagine that Mephibosheth, son of shame, 
out in Lodabar. He felt worthless. He called himself a dog. Like he called himself subhuman. You guys realize that? Have you ever found yourself in a place where you kind of felt like you're worthless, though, for being honest? Have you ever found like yourself in a place where maybe you even felt like kind of a dead dog? Or maybe you felt like you weren't worthy of something? Or maybe you felt like you're inadequate for the task at hand? I don't know what it was. You see, for Mephibosheth in this moment, as he's receiving this blessing from King David, something very interesting is happening. See, everything that he had believed about David, everything that he had known, everything that he had internalized about David was wrong. Think about this. This is years and years we're talking about of being crippled. And every time you look at your legs, you think about David and the tragedy. And in this moment, he's realizing everything, everything that he thought he knew was true was wrong. He had to have been confused. I can't only imagine. He was just sitting there, bowing down, humbled before the king, just waiting for the sword to come on his neck. But everything he thought David stood for, everything he thought David wanted to do to him was wrong. And in the same way, this is, this is where I feel convicted tonight. In the same way, guys, I believe tonight there are many of us here who can relate to Mephibosheth. And maybe we feel like we're sons and daughters of shame. And we feel like we're in a desolate place, like a lonely place like Lodabar. And maybe even one step further, we're like Mephibosheth in our mind We think God to be like David, and we blame God for the the reason we're in this desolate place. Maybe we view God as a mean God who is waiting to bring down the sword on our neck, to bring down the hammer of justice. Maybe like Mephibosheth felt, he could blame David for everything. Maybe there's some of us here in this room, we're pointing the finger and we're blaming God for all the hardships we faced in our life. We're saying, God's the reason my wife divorced me. God's the reason I got this disease. God's the reason I feel this way. God's the reason I have a depression. God this, God. If God's so good, how could he let me be in this place? You can imagine, right, how you can relate to this man in that way if you're feeling that way tonight. Or maybe, let's take it one step further. Maybe you're like Mephibosheth and tonight you're crippled. What do I mean by that? I'm not talking physically, but maybe you're crippled by guilt. Maybe you're crippled by fear. Maybe you're crippled by anger. Maybe you've been carrying a burden so long, and you look down at yourself, and it's what defines you. I'm here to tell us tonight, if that's you, if you can relate in that way, that's just wrong. It's wrong. You see, In the same way that David had an unlikely uh, and a different outcome for Mephibosheth, God's desire for you is to bless you. God's desire for you. Hear me today. If If you get one thing, listen to this. God's desire for you is not to bring down the hammer of judgment, but God's desire is to give you a hope 
and to give you a future. And his desire is to take your unlikely story and turn it back on end. And if that's resonating with you tonight, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the message to respond to that. Tonight's your night. If you need to respond to that truth, tonight's the night. Today's the milestone. But it's an unlikely twist to the story, isn't it? All of a sudden, from Mephibosheth, his life had been turned back right side around. And when you thought the story was good right there, guess what? It gets better, okay? We're almost done. It gets better. At this point, David says to Ziba, Ziba, come here. I'm going to give Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, all of his land. I'm going to give him all King Saul's land. So think about it. He gives Mephibosheth all the land that belonged to King Saul. We're talking King Saul. We're not talking a little garden in the corner here, okay? Like, we're not talking like a community a garden space. No, this is, we're talking all of the land that belonged to the king. Therefore, Mephibosheth, this cripple, son of shame, is getting a vast amount of property. And then David, he's like, you know, I'm going to bless this guy even more. He said, oh, yeah, you, Ziba, yeah, you and all 35 of you, uh, you and your household, guess what? Uh, all you and your servants, you're going to now serve Mephibosheth. You're going to serve Mephibosheth. So now Mephibosheth, he is, he's been blessed with land. He has servants. Now, this is the clincher, guys. This is it. This is everything. Verse 11, the Bible says, And Mephibosheth ate regularly at the king's table like one of the king's own sons. You could imagine. You could imagine going through life feeling worthless, feeling hopeless, out in in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden, the king of kings comes to you and says, I'm going to give you all this land. I'm going to give you all these servants. And guess what? I'm going to call you my son. And you're going to eat regularly at the king's table. How about that? The kid from five. All his stuff being ruined. His life, his whole world gets flipped upside down. And then David flips it right back. And David brings him to a place of honor. And David brings him to a place of power. And suddenly, from Mephibosheth, his whole life has been restored and redeemed. The son of shame is now the son of the king. We love that ending, don't we? We love that ending. I can feel it in the room tonight. That's why I'm getting choked up. We love the, 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 we love the stories of redemption. We love it when we see someone who really didn't deserve something get something in return. They make movies about it. People make billions of dollars about stories of redemption, right? We love it. And the reason we love it, I believe, is because this story of redemption is in the DNA of our souls. We resonate so much. The reason I get choked up and the reason we resonate and you're like, wow, what a powerful story is because these stories is in the DNA of our soul. What do I mean by that? It's because that's what your soul longs for. 
Your soul longs for a second chance. Your soul longs to be restored. Your soul longs to be put in a place of honor. Can I tell you this? Do you know why your soul longs for that? you know why you resonate with the story of Mephibosheth today? Because you are Mephibosheth. You are Mephibosheth. Now you might be asking yourself, what do you mean I'm Mephibosheth? I don't want to be called that. That's a weird name. If you're taking notes, I'm going to fly right through these. But this is why we're Mephibosheth. First, we are all fallen and broken. We are all fallen and broken. Now, you may not be fallen and broken physically like Mephibosheth, but we are all fallen and broken spiritually. The Bible tells us in Romans 3, chapter 23, that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of God's standards. In the same way that Mephibosheth was fallen and broken, we too are fallen and broken. The second way that we are Mephibosheth, the great thing about the story is he wasn't just left there, was he? See, the second way is we are pursued by the king. We are pursued by the king. Just as Mephibosheth was pursued by King David, we are pursued by the king. And I'm not talking about a king here on earth that's going to give us land and possessions and wealth. No, I'm talking about the king of kings and the lord of the lords, the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who doesn't change, the one who is constant, the one who there's no one like, that king is pursuing you. John chapter 3, verse 17 says, the Bible, the Bible says, God didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world. Oh, no. He had something unlikely planned. He didn't send him into the world like, to condemn the world like the world thought. No, he did it so that through him he could save the world. It's that unlikely twist to the story. So we are pursued by the king. And lastly, it's this. Guys, we are fallen and broken, but we are pursued by the king. And last, and this is so powerful, the last point of how we are Mephibosheth. It's that the king's table covers our sin. The king's table covers our sin. Let me explain. Over here, I got a table. I'm going to sit at it. This is my personal table. It's from my house. Some of you may have sat at a table before. <laughs> we do it all the time. We do it to eat with our family. We do it to eat with our friends. And when Mephibosheth, remember in verse 11, he said, it said that he ate regularly. Regularly. That means like a lot, all the time. And he ate as if he was one of the king's own son. And when he sat at the king's table, it's important for us to know that when he sat there, his crippled, broken condition in his legs were what? Can you see my legs right now? No, they were covered. 
they were covered by the king's table. And so when people looked at Mephibosheth, they didn't see, oh, that's Mephibosheth of Lodabar, the guy who's crippled, the guy who's worthless, the guy who we've set aside. No, when they looked up at him at that table, they saw a man of, who was put in a place of honor. They saw a man who was put in a place of power. They saw someone who was like the king's son. They didn't see someone who was crippled. They couldn't even see his legs. The table covered him. In the same way, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, his blood that was shed for us, covers our spiritually broken condition. And we are made whole and complete at the king's table. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, it covers all our sin. You see, we're made whole. We're made complete under the power of Jesus through the sacrifice and the forgiveness of our sins. Don't believe me? Luke chapter 22, Jesus says these very words, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Tonight, Jesus, I believe this. This isn't just some hype message. I believe this in the core of my being. Tonight, the king is pursuing you. He's pursuing you. And he's making an invitation. And he's saying, come, eat at my table. But he's not just saying, come eat at my table. You know how you have guests over and you do it because you want to feel good about yourself, so you invite them once. You're like, oh, if we invite these people over, we're going to feel good about ourselves. We did our good justice. Okay, let's not invite them over now, okay? Okay, no? Okay, that's just me. Okay. Um, I'm just kidding. God's not inviting you over just one time. He's not inviting you to the table once. He's not inviting you to the table twice. He's not inviting you to the table as a guest tonight, guys. He's inviting you as one of his own sons and one of his own daughters. Come on. This is good news tonight. See, we were broken and fallen, but the king is pursuing us, and the invitation is there. Would you take the invitation? Come on. If, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm telling you, the reason this story moves you tonight, that's the Holy Spirit. And that's God's pursuit in your heart tonight saying, hey, I've been seeking after you. You've been in this desolate place, but I'm here. Insert your name. And I want to take your broken, upside down world and I want to put it back to right. Thank you for listening. For more information, check out our website at wearerefinery.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at We Are Refinery. God bless.